who's doing it? Uh, welcome John's to. <laughs> you cut him <clears> off. <throat> no. Um, welcome, John. You should do it. <laughs> um, welcome to Artwork Play Podcast, a podcast for flight sim fanatics. Today we're going to be talking about two different flight simulators. Um, the first flight simulator is uh, 1996's SimCopter by Maxis. Uh, the second flight simulator is 2020's Co-op Copter Scabs by Cat uh, and me and our friend Hillary and our friend Donna and, uh, and other people. And A game that we made John. as part of... Uh, with global Tori on the on the QA. Yeah, uh, we made a game at Global Game Jam, so we're going to be talking about that too. And it's sort of a spiritual successor to this '90s game. Um, it's not. I, don't, I, I retract that. It will be a spiritual successor. That sounds dumb. <laughs> you just have to do uh, the thing where you're like, that just cut boop, that. Boop, boop. code means rewind. A gunshot means forward. You requested it, so we rewind. That's the, the that's the rewind noise. Uh, yeah, that that's the inspiration, and uh, it's the aesthetic inspiration for this game. Is that that game Simcopter? But then also there's some um, through lines uh, in terms of the like sort of content that we're we were trying to make a video game about. We always start the podcast with like doing a very scripted podcast voice and then slowly loosen up. So I think we'll switch into the loosening up mode now. I guess. <laughs> Would you believe that wasn't even scripted? No, it wasn't. I, I, uh, I did write down yes, men on a, on a piece of paper in front of me. So, <laughs> Uh, so previously on the podcast, uh, we talked about the video game SimCity, um, was which that was one? no number three. Three, and um, <laughs> you don't have to uh, go back and uh, listen to episode three. Here's a short recap uh, of what happened during that time. <laughs> it generally will have little relevance to what we're about to. We talk tried about. to we tried to do socialism and it didn't work. Yeah. Oh, in SimCity, and it did not work. The world literally lit on fire. Yeah. So good luck, Bernie Sanders. This is what you have to look forward to. Um, and SimCopter, I played it as a kid. And what uh, enamored me the most about it was that you could uh, f explore the cities you had made in SimCity, but inside of a helicopter. And um, you got to do all kinds of fun things, which were mostly around being a cop. And you got to be a cop in different sort of situations. Uh, so you could, uh, you, ha you were a helicopter flying around this 3D version of the city you made in SimCity. And you had a megaphone that you could use to yell at people for a variety <laughs> of different reasons. Uh, you can, and that's how you did your uh, cop stuff. Um, so you could use your megaphone to yell at at cars that were like causing a traffic jam and tell them to move along. Um, you could, uh, you could receive, you were sort of like a bounty hunter. Like you received tips from the cops of like where they would like you to go help in your, in your helicopter. And, um, you, uh, then could yell at the, at the, uh, 
uh, at the the supposed criminals uh, who were running away from you that you were the police, even though you're not, you're just helicopter pilot, uh, but you're sort of deputizing yourself. And um, and then as you complete these missions, you get better helicopters. Uh, so you get to have this little career. And the whole time you're sort of, you can actually get out of your helicopter to walk around the city and you're this demented little pixelated looking human, uh, which was uh, the, actually the first sim. So we've the hugely popular game from the year 2000, the Sims was made by the people who made SimCity. And it's sort of this like um, uh, su- suburban family simulation game. <laughs> and um, the first, uh, the, the first time that any, that a so-called Sim appears in a game is in SimCopter. Um, and so these Sims huh. were these little pixelated looking uh, things that walked around on the ground and were, it was quite strange looking. The game Did looks like... Did you ever like see in, Rampage? Did you ever play Rampage for Nintendo? Yes. That's yeah. what I'm picturing. The people who fall yeah. out of the windows if you don't eat them. Yeah, and then just picture that, but like stretched out. Like you you have a closer view of it. So it's like a bigger <laughs> version of that. Um, still very pixelated looking. But uh, one, the main thing actually that Simcopter is remembered for is that um, on certain days of the year in like the real world, um, like Friday 13th and, uh, specific people's birthdays. Um, it, the, the normal humans of the Sim city that you're flying around in would be replaced with these, uh, people called himbos. And that stands for, I guess, hunky bimbo. And they were shirtless with uh, glowing nipples, neon nipples and wearing speedos. And they would just walk around hugging and kissing each other. And if you got out of your helicopter, they would come and hug and kiss you. And it was sort of a a paradise. It was very, very nice, but, um, the, (laughs) it's not homophobic. It's like an, an idyllic future. Is that what? Yeah, indeed. Actually it was. So there was a big controversy and it's sort of, they realized that this was an Easter egg inserted by a, um, a developer named Jacques, uh, Servin, um, who, uh, put it in sort of to antagonize his bosses. Um, and uh, he was, he himself was gay. And so uh, it would appear on the, um, the, the himbos would appear on his um, ex-boyfriend's uh, um, birthday as birthday. well as his yeah. real world oh. birthday and on Friday the 13th. And um, so we garnered a, a shit ton of media attention at the time. Um, <laughs> be sort of, sort of randomly, like he he basically did like that happened, and then it just got passed around to um, news networks. And when they asked him why he did it, he said, "Oh, I'm tired of video games always being about." Um, always having bikini clad women or being uh, overly macho. And so yeah. he, he wanted to do some uh, uh, queer representation inside of video games. Some disruption John, you turned out- of the heteronormativity of the game uh, yeah. industry. I was going to say, John turned out depressingly straight for that being his <laughs> favorite game as a child. Yeah. <laughs> no, I guess, well, I, guess it, I guess it set the stage for some of your uh, political uh, allegiances. So this man, uh, actually, he, after sort of saying, sort of making this claim um, that he did it uh, be as a sort of like to take a stand 
uh, for um, gay representation in video games. He was fired by Maxis, the company that made SimCity. And because he had put this into the game without telling them, they had to reissue all the CDs. So um, if you're a collector, you can either get like the... uh, first pressing or the second pressing the second pressing has the easter egg removed um he then after getting fired he went out and told the media that he had actually been paid five hundred dollars by this sort of uh mysterious group called artmark like rt um rt like the uh registered trademark symbol mark um but it's pronounced artmark uh he had been paid five thousand dollars by them to insert the uh easter egg in the game um they they were when and and artmark was an organ uh, an organization of some sort they had a a very sort of fancy for 1999 looking website uh like like corporate situationists or something uh, yes, is, that's exactly, that's what they were. So they were, um, their stated purpose on their a sort of co- very corporate looking website as well was to, um, uh, was to <laughs> now disrupt. Now I'm seeing the significance of this game to who you be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, no, it gets better. Was to disrupt, uh, um, consumer products and, uh, like, uh, insert, uh, anti-consumerist bugs or glitches or defects into consumer products. And so another Hmm. example of an activity they carried out, and this is one that's quite famous. We learned about it in art school. Yes, thank you to Ashley Scarlett's introduction to new media, which for both of us was fantastic. Yes, continue (laughs) to come back to it. I Um, like how one element of this podcast is that it is uh, a love letter to your professor's at OK. <laughs> some <laughs> or of some of them. Some of them. And uh, the, the yeah, the other prank that they had pulled or, or uh, operation that they had paid for as as per their um, P, what that's what their PR talked about. Another operation they had paid for was to switch the voice boxes from uh, Barbies and GI Joes with one another, and then re- put those boxes which the, with the switched voice boxes back on toy shelves so. People People would buy a Barbie, but it would have a GI Joe's voice inside them. Uh, this was called the Barbie Liberation Front, right? Yeah. Um, so these were these things pulled out by Artmark, which all of a sudden this guy Jack Severin said he was actually paid five thousand um, dollars to carry out this prank. Uh, the ma- the Maxis prank. The Maxis mm-hmm. prank. Sorry, the Easter egg, the himbos inside the game. Um, uh, going, but was uh, he gay actually, or was that all just like a cover story? Just so, so, so going forward, it turns out, um, actually, no, he wasn't paid any money to do it. Uh, he, but he, he was gay. He was indeed gay. Definitely and he had a gay been guy. Quite by a partner. He uh, he had been broken up with by his partner. He I asked, love that part. I don't know why. I love that. So so yeah. So it gets better. He had been broken up with by his partner. He had asked Maxis for some time off so that he could like he needed time off for for like for mental health to to do self care, and um, they denied him time off and were crunching on Whoa. like on the product, uh, working sixty hour weeks, and so he wanted to quit because they're treating him poorly and he decided to quit in a way that he could then use, try to use to, um, uh, to propel his like sort of artistic practice because he had an MFA 
uh, after the company. And so he did this stunt and sort of uh, started talking to, to the media about it. He, he inserted the himbos in the game uh, just as not thinking of it politically at all. He said he wasn't thinking about it. Uh, he came up with the um, gay representation uh, justification post facto <laughs> when they, when like news reporters were from like uh, local radio news stations and like NBC and stuff were coming to him uh, asking him why he did it. He just made it up because it was like a coherent sort of thing to say about it. Um, well, it's like what Sagan was saying about punk prism power, where it's like, oh, it's not political, but in it, but it is like it's it's like expressing a non-mainstream media worldview is inherently political. That that's exactly it. Yeah, but that's not what uh, that's not what <laughs> he intended. He just wanted to piss off. He just wanted to get back at his bosses for their shitty making labor him conditions. crunch, and then like, yeah, exactly. So, so he's the Joe Hill of video game history. (laughs) So then he goes on to found, uh, after that, he sort of gets a taste for, for that sort of like, um, um, like PR manipulation thing and like how it's possible to manipulate the media to get subversive messages out there. And so he and the other guy who he had worked with in RT Mark, um, the guy who had done the uh, Barbie Liberation Front uh, prank. Because the art mark, the art mark sponsorship itself was fabricated. That was all just, they had stolen yeah. some corp, like a, a, a consulting firm's website. Damn. Um, and like design and just use it for their own. Uh, then like they started, so they started working together uh, in this like long t- ongoing project called Yes Men, um, where they, they, they started right after this, um, uh, the, the Maxis, the Simcopter thing. Uh, it was 1999. Um, the, uh, the, a lot of people were gathering in Seattle to protest the, uh, world trade organization right thing i don't even know what it was anymore it was a meeting of the world trade organization uh and it was this um huge that was a precursor to i think the occupy stuff like a yeah lot of that that's or, usually yeah yeah like protesting this like sort of like hegemonic uh, corporate globalism. (laughs) When the discourse around globalization began to kind of like get a critical response in terms of like protesters and activists. And was brutally suppressed by police as well at the time. Like they, uh, they, they were very violent in their suppression of the protesters. Tear gas and. And so in order as to participate in that action, they created a, um, they created a a copy of the World Trade Organization's website, a fake version at like a an address that was still like World Trade WTO.org, like something that people would think it was. And yeah. then just did that it basically ca- carried on a weird sort of like shouting match with the real trade world trade <laughs> organization, sending out press releases saying that they were the real trade world trade organization. While the other people would be like, no, we're the real world trade organization. That's awesome. Um, they didn't have a specific, uh, they didn't have a specific message that they sent out, but that was their first sort of exercise in, um, pretending to be, corporations or large these like large capitalist uh global organizations um and it was responded to it was publicly received uh uh, like as well uh quite 
like it, they seemed quite credible and they were able to do some public stunts because of their sort of the, the types of, of websites and like representation that they were, they, they're these two white guys who were able to uh, put themselves forward and look very credible on television and got them into uh, national sort of national notice. Yeah, one of the best examples of that is they, uh, they so they will make websites for that look like a real like whatever organization or corporation they are trying to to imitate that looks like the real website from that organization. Right. Uh, then they will email journalists from email addresses that lead back to that website. And for example, they made one for Dow Chemical and they emailed uh, BBC claiming to be Dow Chemical. Okay, wait, and sorry. You keep implying that there's like, that the, that the politics is kind of like a secondary layer here or not the intentional layer, but why are they go like, it seems no, like- No, that you- was the initial, that was like- Jonathan's trying to, I think Jonathan's trying to express the initial adventure with the Simcopter Kimbos. Okay, okay. But then it became was, like expressly political. It is clearly expressly political yeah. <laughs> after this point. Um, I think, yeah. 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 And, and they were all like. It's he, only the initial Simcopter Easter egg the, where Jack true, Servan true, true. has okay, okay. said, has come out and said, I initially only in te- I was initially aggravated by the working conditions at Maxis. Yeah. And I sort of, when I was then reached out or the, when the media then reached out to me, I used my MFA degree and the rest Built is history. A project out of it. <laughs> like the himbos was sort of like an, an opportune sabotage by a worker um, and to protest the conditions that he was working in. That's awesome. uh, and then when it's sort of like, it started picking up steam in this way, in this like weird neoliberal PR way. <laughs> and then he sort of has just, uh, because he was in, he wanted to make work that was anti a capitalist in some way. He sort of just rode that momentum uh, that like, that initial momentum and then like honed his craft at like uh, influencing the media in different ways along with his partner in the yes men. I think a way Um, of uh, like looking at the narrative is uh, you can trace his kind of like radicalization in response to his working conditions, which Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Like, so there's kind Mm -hmm. of like a, a kind of like blind or impassioned, uh, response initially, and then kind of like as he develops a reflexivity about his ability and or their ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and particularly particularly for Jacques Jack Jacques, uh, uh, he mentions because he was working for Maxis, they are working in San Francisco, and he mentions sort of the uh, the inspiration of the. It's a weary be living in San Francisco at the time when uh, the or prior to the dot uh, dot com bubble or as the dot dot com bubble was rising and displacing um, many uh, folks, specifically marginalized folks, uh, he he that is also like a, a a sort of spurring of his radicalization and watching all his friends die from AIDS. Yes, yes. those two things sort of happening at similar times in the throughout the nineties. Um, he talked about that, like both, uh, t- sort of showing him the like naked, he calls it the feral, 
feral capitalism <laughs> um that's which like which is awesome the, the, it's, yeah. yeah there is a the, the, it's i like this i mean the the kind of like reversing the gi joes and the barbies is it at, like i don't know if that ages well as kind of like a gesture but there are there are there's like there's something it's very like, 90s yeah, but but there's a good there's a good poetry to some of this. I, I feral capitalism is 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 quite nice, and the and the imitating the uh, the imitating the WTO website uh, ages well in a sort of net art sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the in it's the- sur- yeah, it's specifically uh, Ash in Ashley Scarlet's uh, sort of net art. Um, class. Yeah. This was the. This was real. It, this was within the slideshow. It was sort okay. of yeah, the the sort of uh, encaptured the essence of the era. This sort of um, the the retreat from the gallery of net art. The kind of democratization of putting art on the internet uh, uh, at the time. And yeah, and these sort of culture jamming that then like the 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 RT mark and and um, the Maxis. Max's Easter eggs seem to represent. But the Yes Men had a theatrical because I now now that you developed some of this, I, I think I have a vague recollection of the Yes Men. And there is a theatrical sort of element to the presentation, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Sometimes there's more than props. others. Like there's <laughs> costumes. elaborate, there, there's elaborate yeah. costumes. Videos. Yeah. Uh, and not there, only documentation, but like produced sort of humorous videos produced for uh, in the guise of of uh, powerpoints and uh, board presentations, <laughs> Tough Guy Mountain certainly had a lot of influence. Uh, influ- in- influence drawn. Tough Guy Mountain or, yeah. influenced Yes Men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We were talking to them directly the whole time. I was like twelve, and they were calling me every day. Mm-hmm. We noticed um, you've the- been playing our video game a lot. Um, <laughs> do you have any um, advice? The best. The bet. One of the best. Like like super direct anti-capitalist actions they took was representing Dow Chemical on BBC, uh, taking full responsibility for the loss of life in the like uh, Bhopal chemical plant disaster. That's correct. And then immediately causing uh, uh, their stocks to fall, their stocks to fall by billions of dollars. They like lost $2 billion of value from their company just by making that statement on in public yeah it was on tv so (laughs) and so they are sort of these performance artists because they can make these appearances very convincingly um uh, but it also had to do with the historical moment right like it has to do with being able to Mm. like uh, an emerging technology that's happening and and people are okay as a culture we're going to invest our trust in this emerging technology and at the same time, uh, people being so naive about it that they can – so, like, there's still people being taken in by scammers and phishing um, uh, attempts every day right now. But I think mm-hmm. a big por- portion of the kind of, like, media and computer literate culture are not being taken in by these things. But at that time, you could fish fucking Dow Chemical. So there is something, like, very specific and located about – that sort of whatever you want to call it intervention art practice performance whatever mm-hmm. and yeah and it was certainly uh it was it was pretty linked to their like their their position as like people who uh white men who were had been like it, uh 
had collected these skills in San Francisco to these tech skills and like were able to uh, present themselves both as, you know, convincing um, corporate members of corporate uh, uh, organizations as, and, and then also just like have collected these skills at the time. Uh, which was like a more niche number of the pop. There weren't there weren't coding boot camps to the same degree. No. <laughs> um, he's, Go ahead. Jacques said he completely made up his resume to get hired at Maxis. He and he just like lied. Did he had just learned a bit of programming on his on the side and then just totally fabricated his uh, his resume before getting hired for Simcopter. So they are like they are sort of like. Uh, riding on that that Bay Area white guy possibilities, um, but then they then harness that they're sort of like generic white guy uh, bodies and abilities to perform as that. Uh, yeah, to, lots of different facial hair op- options got yeah, them on, dif- really on different television angles because they could be many different people <laughs> just with a mustache or so. Well, it's also a very specific technological moment when people wouldn't be as heavily or regularly documented. Yeah, you wouldn't be able. I mean, you couldn't like Google who the image of the world. You know, who's this person from the World Trade Organization? That 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 technology didn't exist yet. Uh, The television has a lot more power. (laughs) Yeah, and more so that. Funny enough, for that, more recently, their projects have been seems like they're more collaborative, working with other artists to be the face of it, Mm -hmm. and uh, like lesser recognized faces. Yeah, their (laughs) most recent um, videos that I was just watching on their YouTube channel um, are working with uh, the working with. uh, artists uh, who are indig- indigenous to like create this performance called the Indigenous Pipeline Association, and they just these uh, two artists like go into these extremely white spaces like uh, golf parks or <laughs> um, sub- suburbs, and then sort of like talk to people about how they're planning on building uh, pipelines through these like golf courses and and stuff, um, and like surveying the land and. And so that's that, funny. And, it, that feels like much more satirical than the the other stuff, where like it's it's uh, where they're like doing a kind of like bait and switch, where they're just like it. It seems like they've had to switch the the idiom or whatever the, the genre in order yeah. to like continue the project. I, that, I think that's funny and amusing, and there's 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 something nice about that but the 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 power of being able to like have a certain mastery in the early internet that, that that i don't know if you can reproduce those conditions no and their practice i mean they're both employed by art schools now i believe and so their practice has shifted kind of um to like they have three uh sort of feature length documentaries about works that they'd done so i think they're on netflix and stuff so you're i think i watched them on netflix um so the from like the year 2003 2009 and 2014 and and they have you can see the way because they begin not only are they sort of initially documenting their past like actions with uh, appearing as the World Trade Organization on television and stuff. There also then there were kind of shifts to be things that are, um, uh, I, I don't want to say necessarily stunts, but things that you can like wrap into a 
feature length documentary hmm. uh, as like examples to illustrate this larger issue that like goes throughout the, you know, that is presented <laughs> throughout the documentary. So it's a, it's a shift in their practices, I think because of the nature of the technology they're using. Um, and it's also and, as if another way to read their careers is at, is like, uh, um, scales of reflexivity, like where the mm -hmm. first one is kind of like a, re a reactive, uh, um, a, a reactive radicalization and then slightly more self-reflexive. And then it's just kind of like, okay, now we're going to do the, uh, Michael Antonio, Michelangelo Antonioni thing and like shoot a movie about the movie that we're shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah as their fun yeah as their funding increases and they're, they, they a, get stirred steady jobs they have a platform now called yes lab and i think i assume that's where they started working with the artists that they're working with now where they are it's it's about uh somehow giving support to other organizations that want to start like the yes men um and i don't know very much about that kind of in the like more in the social like justice disruption yeah. uh, angle because a lot of their, yeah, a lot of their work does take on, uh, the environmental issues, um, as well. Like certainly the pipeline is an intersectional intersection of, of different issues. And, uh, but yeah, they've been that trending towards the environment as a, as a focus. Are you tired of scabs? Are you tired of hauling out your big 10-inch uh, blower to the picket line just to let people know that there's scab labor inside? Do you want to share the knowledge of who exactly is scabbing at your place of work? Then uh, you might be interested in the little Scabby the Rat AR filter now available for Instagram and devices newer than 2014. Unfortunately, we have not been able to test it because our devices are not newer than 2014. But if you are on, if you are on the picket line, may we recommend using Scabby the Rat for all your scab finding needs. And please send us documentation that it actually works. That's Scabby the Rat. You can't spell Scabby without Scab. Scabby the Rat, also good for detecting rat fucking. <laughs> so out of, feels out of context. Scabby the Rat, identify political rat fucking with Scabby the Rat. Scabby the Rat isn't only for scabs. It can also be used to identify rats in politics. This week's playthrough is of Co-op Copter Scabs, which is a game we made, uh, Jonathan, myself, uh, Hillary Cohen, and Donna Kreikel, uh, as well as um, two other people contributing, um, John Cameron and Jeremy McPherson, uh, at last. And Donovan Jonk made the music. Oh, yes. Just to name, to name all the participants uh, who were involved in the creation of this game during the, the game jam, the 2020 game jam, which uh, if you're not familiar, um, is a, the, the global game jam hat is a, as a weekend once a, a year 
where people all around the world gather in different little chapters um, with a common theme that's shared across the world. And and it's usually not released until the, the, the hour of the jam. So people show up not knowing what they're going to, not knowing what they're going to make a game about. And they hear this, uh, they hear the theme for the year and then they break off into groups um, or sometimes create a game by themselves. Uh, and uh, based on this theme, uh, we had a, we had uh, a theme of repair for this year, which uh, vibed really well with our preconceived idea that we arrived at the jam with that we wanted to shove into whatever theme that we'd received, uh, <laughs> which was creating a game um, about the the uh, lockout at the plant at the at Regina's local co-op refinery. And the name co-op copter scabs had just popped into my head after we were um, driving back from uh, hiking uh, in Wascana Trails. And, which is nearby Regina. Yeah, and driving north of town and near the refinery, you could just see sort of like a number of helicopters flying in between the airport and the refinery. And we had heard uh, that the co-op which is a nominally a cooperative, but have, are locking the employees of this refinery out for going on 70 days now, um, that they had been spending millions of dollars flying scabs over the picket lines using uh, helicopters. Because the workers who had been locked out in response had sort of blockaded um, people to go into the plant for working but they they are they are still trucks are still going in and out of the plant currently um scab workers are 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 going in and out um through helicopter and sometimes also through just um, through it's it's possible to just get them out through car as well and so there's not we, much the union can do we made a video game that looks a lot like uh the video game we were speaking of earlier simcopter um wherein you uh start at the airport uh you pick up um workers uh they get into your helicopter you fly across a virtual a version of uh regina which was made by our friend hillary cowan and um uh then you drop off the the workers at the refinery and um one of the one of the aspects of this lockout that um ev that people have been talking about as well that the uh the workers who are locked out have been talking about is that the flame that uh, the flame that shoots out of one of the pipes at the refinery has been exceptionally large recently. So all refineries, uh, it's an oil refinery. All all oil refineries have this like sort of flame that is basically just off gassing. It's pretty pretty gross. It it, it, Wait, it they're, they're burning off stuff in town. Yeah, be it's like uh, in order to like. It's often a safety thing if they need to get rid of some fuel. So um, because it's just scab workers who are um, who are working the plant right now, uh, they're they're inexperienced. They've only been working this job for well going on seventy days now. So you don't. They're non-unionized, so which is why they're able to be, be scab workers. Which then, of course, they. they don't and it's also it's also significant, Kat, because of what you're saying. Like the the like going into the lockout, there had been concerns about safety that the union workers had been complaining about. And so th that they're that they're flying in scabs now means that they can have people in who will, will like um, 
will, will not be aware of their rights and to, uh, apart from not being trained, will also not have any systems by which to complain if uh, they're being put in these positions to do dangerous work. And this is something that you guys were referencing in the game. Yeah, so the more scab workers you drop off, the bigger that the uh, virtual flame that we've created out of the refinery gets. Um, and just like it's 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 evidence of a dangerous situation. Uh, we, are, we went to the picket line on Monday and we were talking with one of the uh, people who work in the refinery, a chemist, and he was saying that when that happens, when the flame gets really as big as it's been recently at the refinery, the whole plant is scrambling. Like it's an emergency situation, all hands on deck. Everybody to their post immediately. And so in co-op copter scabs, there are two scenarios. If you drop off enough uh, scabs at the refinery, which I'm about to do after this run, then it's Armageddon. Uh, a disaster happens and the refinery explodes. Um, alternatively, outside of the virtual refinery and co-op copter scabs, uh, picket line is sort of swelling over time, like more and more people are joining the picket. So maybe I'll do that right now, actually. Um, <laughs> that you, but you, because you can also, uh, instead of dropping the scabs off at the refinery, you can drop them off at the picket line. You can sort of switch sides as a helicopter pilot and decide to contribute to the union instead of uh, dropping them off in the refinery, which causes the apocalypse to happen eventually. And then uh, if enough people, I think uh, once enough people join the union, um, then uh, the union wins, they take over the plant and, and solidarity forever plays. What's that billboard? What's the billboard? The, these billboards, uh, this one was drawn by Jared McPherson. Uh, and so these billboards are representative yeah. of the actual billboards that are like across town. And so there's, I think I mentioned on a previous podcast, there's a pretty, uh, there's a pretty intense like propaganda war where it's the union initially, or I don't know who did it first, but uh, I initially noticed the union's um, uh, um, billboards that were uh sort of remarking to, to co-op, hey, we make you $3 million a day, don't gut our pensions, which is one of the, which is a very core issue uh, on the table uh, for for these workers. Um, and one that the co-op has not, uh, is just not negotiating, they're just not negotiating with. Uh, they just want to cut the pensions and in, in, in its place, give a raise um, that really isn't significant, not significant with the like, with the inflation and everything calculated into it. Um, and certainly it's going to put the workers at a, a huge disadvantage. It's a raise it's standard, they're, they're right? It's like, it's against, mm -hmm. it's against what the norm is for the entire sector. Mm -hmm. And, and of course then co-op plasters up all these billboards saying like, wouldn't you like an 11.3% raise? Like co-op workers are so greedy. <laughs> Okay, the last part's my the the greediness is what they're implying, but yeah. they do have these massive billboards. It keys up into a union myth. Mm -hmm. And they're they're really like the media around town in Regina has just been like pretty deplorable. Uh, of obviously for being anti-union and pro-co-op, um, they're just going. The the co-op on every angle is just flexing their their might, and of course, like the sort of the most. The most offensive part is that they're called the co-op, and so. Um, <laughs> well, they you... were, they were, but about I guess about ten or fifteen years ago, they really shifted to a, a much more standard corporate model, and since co -op then, the brand. Yeah, as opposed to co-op 
you know the uh, hierarchic structure and it's like a re- it's like a red washing almost <laughs> yeah uh so yeah we created this game um because we because we are hearing the helicopters go over our our apartment um all the time uh they are visible from our uh, our apartment window and it's a it's yeah a very... we actually don't care about workers at all we're <laughs> only we only care about noise compl- we only care about making noise complaints to the city <laughs> and not in my backyard <laughs> we think that this uh game will make it more likely that our noise complaints will finally finally be heard it's going to impact the the resale value of your rental property <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, I sort of we've we found that a um, game jam. Um, oh, the union just won. Nice. nice. Now it's oh. right, gonna run the credits. <laughs> we found that a game jam sort of presented an interesting opportunity to um, make something that was timely. Um, because again, the nature of a game jam is you're supposed to complete something in. A short amount of time. In this case, it's like over a weekend. The font makes um, it look like you've misspelled Cat's name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. What is this font called again? Uh, gameplay. Yeah, gameplay. Um, Free font. Um, yeah, the, we were like, you can sort of make uh, these uh, a game because it's in a short, such a short period of time. You can make a small game that. Um, has to do with something that is regional or local to the community you're in. The something, something that uh, Sagan was talking about last week. Yeah, actually. I was it's thinking sort of, of the, it. the ability for video games to, uh, s- I don't know, speak from this like local perspective in some way, and that being a thing that they don't necessarily always fulfill. It's interesting because, like, to, um, shifting back to the political lens, the one of the big reasons for pushing through the pipeline the 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 is is the workers like think of the jobs right think of so think of the economy more broadly think of the vehicles that need to be on the road etc but it's like think about the the jobs of the of the workers who uh who help uh you know bring oil yes. to the market it's a jobs program yeah. we have to we need the trans canada pipeline because uh, otherwise we'll all be unemployed and we'll we're, our economy will tank and then at the same time, it's the exact same media who's like inconceivably yeah. and incoherently will push uh, the equal and opposite method message, which is like these workers are uh, are greedy pigs. Okay, watch it's gonna it's gonna explode now. John's the, blowing the up the refinery. Hell yeah! John is the, the Eminem won, of video but... game design. It's all about <laughs> revenge fantasies. John, um, the... <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> the uh yes it's uh right currently in the game not as it currently in the game the union can win and you can still continue drop dropping off scabs and blowing up the, the refinery but yeah it's not the jobs thing is just such a charade because it's uh it's it's not the jobs that they care about it's the it's the like the profits of the corporation and um we saw these sort of like we saw these sort of uh, uh, rich times in the in the prairies uh, that have just been ending for the past, you know, fifteen or twenty years, <laughs> like where people were able to be paid high high wages and sort of that that decreased the need for like solidarity amongst the workers in the sector, and then yeah. that squeeze is just really happening now as the um, the 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 sort of 
oil that they're producing here becomes more expensive to produce because it's like so dirty uh, and then also as like which is the same with the pipeline which is the same with the pipeline the oil that will come out of that like will be very very costly to get to market mm-hmm. and we have um you have the people all of the the uh uh the conservative politicians in canada who just ran on the idea of oil worker jobs um yeah whether whether it's like uh who are the different people jason kenny he's the he's the federal leader of the conservative party right Andrew Shear. Oh, sorry, Andrew Shear. Jason Kenney is Alberta. Um, yeah, and he used and to be so, the immigration the uh, minister. So, so Andrew Andrew Shear, uh, his riding is in Regina, and he sort Our of boy. he sort of runs on, uh, yeah, this sort of ideology around oil jobs, and um, he has been completely silent on the co-op lockout. Not a not a not a peep. Not um, a huge surprise. I mean, the NDP yeah. was into. You were showing me something today, John. But the NDP at first was coming out with a very mealy-mouthed kind of bullshit story about like, well, we ought to hear both sides before we decide whether or not to support workers on this. Yeah, they're not supporting. Yeah, no. There's um, the NDP has well, been hugely disappointing on this. Same with well, yeah. same with Wet'suwet'en. The yeah. the the NDP like is virtue signaling like Jagmeet is virtue signaling on his Twitter feed, but you have a BC government in power. I don't completely understand that because uh, uh, Justin Trudeau is pointing to um, the the provincial government and the provincial government like the NDP is pointing back and saying, well, look, this is an uh, uh, the RCMP is nationally uh, is given their mandate from uh, from uh, the national power. Uh, but what's clear is the RCMP are thugs for oil, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, whether it's Wet'suwet'en or uh, at the Regina Co-op uh, refinery. It's, Where uh, arrests have been increasing on the picket line mm-hmm. uh, over the past week or so, as well, the RCMP was removing these like essential devices. So we went out to the picket line on Monday. We lasted 15 minutes because it was just so brutal cold. It's it's in this hell. It's dropped another 25 degrees since from, then. Since then. Since we were out there. <laughs> With more wind. And so, and then, so what I was going to say is, the cops just recently took away a bunch of their generators and one of their warming shacks, uh, which, yeah, you know, because because like you don't want people to not get frostbite or. <laughs> I mean, Toronto, we have the, the Toronto, we have the the housing crisis, and we and and, and we have uh, it's it's definitely a neoliberal enclave. But um, John, uh, you and Kat were on the the. The, the you you guys were blocking traffic in Regina at the same time that I was standing on the uh, the rail the CN rail line and yeah. it was like a jam uh, at the CN rail line which is not to say like people weren't risking arrest and that people weren't uh, you know facing intimidation from police and all of that but it was like relatively chill and then you were texting me talking about a very different experience <laughs> yeah just because there's it's just the um, the ten like things things here seem like they're much more at the surface or like uh in in so many different ways where the like so many people are are personally there's like sort of two sides to it people here are are not some people who live in here in uh treaty four in regina seem like uh really they they really identify with the oil industry lots of lots of bumper stickers say saying my car doesn't ride on unicorn piss yeah <laughs> cool yeah like cool, just man. a lot 
it's an identity here to be to be Which pro is awesome oil because the workers are getting shitted on. Exactly. Totally. It's like you're just it's a so fan incoherent of, as a sub as a as like a as like a identity. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty frustrating. And then you you pair that with the like insane uh racism uh towards like the uh the Sioux and the Cree and the Lakota and like all the indigenous people who live here. Um the yeah, it's pe- people were tr- the we a number of people tried to drive through the blockade, the Wet'suwet'en uh, blockade on you, Saturday. Didn't you send me a picture? You were like literally like pressed up against the hood of a car that was trying to punch. Yeah, their- they <laughs> just they totally like they just went or that one they went through. The other two, there was two other cars that tried to drive through, but there were just too many people. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a good it was a I good mean, action. Yeah, really like people- throwing them back. <laughs> people were being very the people who were participating were really awesome and like just being just they're trying to be chill and peaceful but um when you're when you sort of couple that like racism with uh uh, uh people identifying with the oil industry when you're protesting pipelines mm-hmm. with Feeling uh their also material interests are threatened because they're driving this big car and then they're yeah. like i'm just gonna take it through these people yeah and then <laughs> look how powerful i am with my oil <laughs> and never underestimate the like the aggrieved consumer that the aggrieved inconvenienced consumer in that sort of situation can yeah. get very upset um, but the the fact that the blockade is still ongoing in Ontario, and that the 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 media like you've seen the corporate media really start to like, hey guys, this like you better stop doing this or like you're gonna all this is gonna be really bad for everybody. Um, uh, that's is quite heartening, and I hope I, I I wish that there was a blockade, an ongoing blockade here that we could contribute to. But the Unifor uh, picket line seems like it's in. Even though it's like it, it seems maybe it seems strange, but in my mind, the the fight of the people who work in the refinery is uh, you're fighting the same enemy as the people who are uh, the like land uh, protectors at uh, who are the people who are supporting the land protectors at Wet'suwet'en. That's one of the that's one of the kind of paradoxes that I wanted us to talk about when we're talking about this issue because. Um, thinking about an oil refinery doesn't necessarily align to the the political position that we seem to that that you might expect that we occupy with this with this podcast but i think um one of the thing like when i talk about my bourgeois guts one of the things i'm talking about is not that i don't want to see uh, change take place. It's just that I don't think that it needs to happen at the end of a gun, or I don't think that it needs to. Um, it, it, uh, it needs to be kind of like a radical fasc- fascistic overturning of uh, the economy as we know it, like a kind of like humane transition from jobs in the current energy sector to like a more uh, green form of energy. Not doing so while making compromises that put the economy before uh, the in- the environment or not putting the, the economy before the necessary gutting of the oil industry that needs to take place, but doing so in a way that doesn't immediately undercut thousands and thousands of jobs. 
Uh, yeah. And I, th and I think a lot of, like, a, um, I think the Leap Manifesto looks at that. I don't know much about the American Green New Deal, but I know uh, activists working with the Green New Deal, that's precisely one of their, the, the pillars of um, their uh, political project is uh, this, precisely this transition from um, the industrial work that's taking place today to a greener versions of, of that work, whatever shape that might take. This sort of absence of jobs that our politicians are always talking about in our society is just like a result of austerity in general. So, um, if we do wealth redistribution better, then there won't be this sort of like, I don't know, need to uh, have all these people employed in the oil and gas industry. It's just sort of, it seems like a sort of artificial scarcity to me. Um, yeah, because the economy that's always talked about, is, as mentioned before, it's the, the economy is not workers' jobs when the, like $3 billion are like getting injected into this or that pipeline. It's always, it's it's going to the yeah. top. It's it's not workers' jobs, as we can see uh, evidenced by, uh, it's not going to pensions, <laughs> clearly at the co-op refinery. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that is not, that's not how the wealth is being distributed. So like the worker, the a work, workers' rights would, more, if labor has more power, the redistribution of, of, of power and wealth at that point will then, we can hopefully have more greener options for energy. Oh, well, <laughs> they don't no, no problem. The, the only, literally the only thing standing in the way of that happening now is the power that corporations like, like the co-op refinery have to make decisions about uh, the way things should be. And then- To if, influence government decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like uh, increasing the amount of power that worker ha that workers have, uh, especially if they're working at a shitty place like an oil refinery, um, can only improve things. And then fighting against the sort of clawing back of that power uh, seems important. Um, even if you don't think that an oil refinery should really exist, um, uh, having it be in the hands of workers is definitely going to get us closer to it not existing. <laughs> I'm just watching Jonathan Me too. through yeah, the floor is. or through the ground and the grass in this kind of psychedelic, um, the outskirts of Regina are the wastelands outside <laughs> Regina are, are this glistening pink, orange, yellow. And you can't quite crash. No, no. <laughs> that, that option has been taken away from you. <laughs> it's actually really hard to play this game. I'm, I'm just actually really good at piloting helicopters now. Yeah. <laughs> Kobe Bryant would be alive, but for John. Yeah, it's true. This, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, that was part of our, um, someone was mentioning, uh, or one of the collaborators was mentioning, like, how we, we should have fog in the game because of that being, I mean, that being such a challenging, um, uh, or a con so it'd be a challenging factor to uh, when you're when you're piloting it with a helicopter and also being like the listed reason of why the 
of Kobe Bryant's like copter crashed was the was the intense fog so they discussed oh maybe as you maybe as you fly to the refinery uh more fog could could show up to make your job harder but turned out it was just hard enough using the crappy physics engine that we'd purchased uh for this helicopter so <laughs> no fog necessary <laughs> i think it's actually a really accurate simulation based on your experience piloting <laughs> I just feel like if you put me behind the controls of a helicopter right now, I would be in good shape. Relative to you guys, at least. I think that's reasonable. The thing that I wanted to say before, um, but I got distracted. I, I, I told you, John, I was going to stop drinking beers during the show so that I wouldn't have these burps. <laughs> but I can't. It's just too nice to have a beer. Um <laughs> but it's um, having the like locating political will in the individual and and their own morality doesn't allow for the complexities of these different sorts of tensions, the tensions that emerge from like people needing to have jobs, an economy depending upon oil, upon cars, upon transportation needing to transition away from that and then the sort of uh, colon colonial legacies that that entails these mm -hmm. different these different things combining uh kind of um require a different sort of uh, ethical attention which is not to talk about a sort of alternative facts or an ethical relativism but to accept that it's not possible to kind of like in one fell swoop make a into b make the refinery job into like a kind of like equitable socialist reality. Mm -hmm. um, I, do you think it's just about priorities? Well, I don't know. Like, it's even like the the like the like. I think one of the fundamental things about what's happening at Wet'suwet'en right now is it's is it's in the Supreme Court. It's been held up as unceded land. Like it's been established as unceded land, and uh, even talking about the response to it as a protest frames how that conflict is going in a sort of like state subject relation. That is to say, the people who, the indigenous people who are protesting the pipeline are doing so uh, w with the idea that they are their own discrete nation who ought to be able to offer consent to corporate and uh, uh, outside state interests to you know come into their land mm -hmm. whereas the canadian government is looking at it like well these are unruly citizens mm -hmm. uh, that already exist with under our control <laughs> right who ought to fall into line uh, because you know this, we have decided this is what's good for the state. We have decided this is what's good for the economy, and they're not speaking the the same language at all. And I and I think as like a kind of like wound-sized asterisk here, like the indigenous people ha have it from the mouth of the prime minister that this is a new era and like we're going to start to honor uh like uh, negotiating or speaking nation to nation that we're going to start um kind of like t thinking about reconciliation that's why i think it's so damning and powerful the current uh 
discourse that's coming out of the indigenous protest to the pipeline, which is saying reconciliation is dead. It's very damning, and it and it and I think it claps back directly and with power to the virtue signaling that at least Justin Trudeau is, and that maybe Singh and the NDP are uh, are offering as well. Yeah, it's like the the fact that some people have been pointing at the blockades uh, that are still being carried out on the like different parts of the rail line in Ontario uh, and uh, that were part of larger actions over the weekend as being something that in, in our ideal world could lead to a general strike in response to the, um, the actions of the Liberal government. Um, that's, that would be that it seems like that would be so, so justified in this case as a way of when the 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 people doing the only thing they can which is withhold their labor power to say no to like this uh, like horrendous injustice and like this yeah. sort of like the war crimes that are <laughs> happening uh mm-hmm. uh at the like hands of the like people that were elected into office um uh, it would, yeah, and that it would be, it would be, it's, it's awesome because there, or it feels, it feels, it feels like it could be this, this energy, uh, at least, especially here in Regina, uh, because it is out west, because of the uniform strikes, because of the like, um, all of the in- indigenous people that live here in the city, um, that like, uh, it feels like there's a lot of energy, but um, there's so much that is like aligned against that energy in terms like the of the corporate massive power rcmp base here yeah the rcmps <laughs> have like an armored vehicle here like they, they're all tanked up pretty much um it's very occupied and then also it's cold as as balls and so uh they picked the 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 co-op picked the right time of year to lock out their employees if they wanted to sap their morale as quickly as possible because Mm -hmm. when you got to walk the line for like eight hours at a time and it's minus 50 with the wind chill it's like whoa how do you keep doing it i think it's important to keep discreet like what's happening in terms of like uh, the protests against the pipeline and the, the legitimate claims to sovereignty that are happening from the uh, First Nations, uh, yeah. and that and that which is happening in terms of the labor actions that are happening in terms of Fudora, in terms of the co-op workers, in terms of the the Ontario teachers, uh, but I also think it's evocative and exciting to to see the confluences and the continuity between the two projects. Like both of yeah. them are protesting a capitalist state. They're doing so for for what I feel are discrete reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like 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 thinking in terms of um, caring for the land is very distinct in terms of thinking like I want a working wage. I want livable conditions to result from the labor that I give every day. Those are two distinct things, uh, and I think it's important to keep them disc- discrete. But I also think it's like exciting to think about the confluence. And right now, like it does feel something different is happening in terms of the in, ter- in terms of all these actions that are taking place and i and i agree with you uh, both in terms of like the darkness looming and to, and to me that just seems like a totally unknowable quantity like if you run out of hope you get more hope okay but it seems like the equal and opposite is true like when they crush one hope then they figure out a way to crush the next hope 
um, yeah, the people, the the guy we were talking with for the longest time at the line was, um, he was just he was sort of like placing this in the context of like this is going to be um, a big part of the next decade <laughs> is this sort of like right. increasing austerity. I think he was specifically talking from like in the extractive industries this like increasing austerity increasing clampdown increasing automation which is a big part of the their ability to squeeze workers like this is they can mm -hmm. use less workers um and i think that's another resonance across these very different struggles because one like yeah you're totally right ben one of the struggles is for just bit it's just for like this sovereignty that is like freedom yeah. to not be just murked by agents of a government that is not even your own you know and then the other is yeah fighting for a a livable wage and a pension um so like they are quite different yeah. but they are they are aligned by the fact that they're being repressed by the same state and like it's the same these same um these same forces that are sort of mustering their their power in the face of the the, way the same, the, like the courts are ruling against both, um, like a both, you know, the rights of the people of Wet'suwet'en and then like the co-ops, uh, the co-op employees who are locked down. Yeah. There's all these punitive uh, forces that are that are applying pressure onto to, to the two. The th I think the thing that I'm always aware of, especially in terms of organized labor, is that at least historically, and I think contemporarily, there is a shift that's taking place, especially as people are uh, more willing to unabashedly embrace uh, a kind of socialist conception of um, what a state can be. Uh, and I think that the socialism is one of these dangerous words that like can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But nonetheless, uh, unions are kind of like formed in this crèche that already takes for granted capitalism, and mm -hmm. that produces uh, a certain ideological um, habitat for organized labor that is distinct, I think, from the actions that First Nations are taking in terms of their, their claims mm -hmm. to sovereignty, None, where, where nonetheless there is like a shared, uh, a shared kind of nemesis or a shared kind of uh, ultimate boss. <laughs> <laughs> the final boss. After you blow up the, the refinery yeah. <laughs> or after you free the people. Uh, if you follow the link in the podcast notes, uh, you'll be directed to builds for both Windows and Mac computers. And in browser as well. You can just play it on the internet. And yeah, so nice. you, and it's free. Uh, tell all your friends. We're going to include a call to action with a, um, to send a letter to an MP about anti-scab legislation that the NDP party is putting forward to be. I don't know how things work in the government. It's going to be considered at the end of March in some respect. So, nice. so play it now and play it. Yeah, play it. Uh, play it soon. <laughs> yeah, and then um, uh, because if there, if if it was legislated that uh, employers that 
firms weren't able to use scab workers, um, it would give the unions a lot more power in the, in the country and actually would not affect the, the co-op because it's, 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 uh, legislated, um, uh, provincially and the provincial NDP say, said they won't, they're not going to consider anything like that. So it's, it's a uh, pressure it's, them. It's uh, the, 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 the bill is a federal bill. And so it, it would set the precedent, uh, but it would not actually fix this individual situation here, but, uh, it's something, something to, um, sort of add as a call to action to this game. If, if it makes you want to try to do more, this is one suggestion of something you could do. I also want to, uh, plug again, uh, the four sisters podcast that I worked on, uh, the first episode was released this week and I've had, uh, some good feedback on it. The second episode is coming out next week. Um, and I feel like not only in terms of the plot of the play, but in terms of some of the, uh, composition and sound design, it, uh, amplifies things a level. So, uh, you can check out the four sisters podcast on SoundCloud or on Apple podcast so far. Uh, and uh, go check it out if you're interested in seeing uh, another kind of look at uh, the sort of podcast that I produce. A whole a whole new take on podcasting from Ben McCarthy. It's it's it it's yeah uh, it's never been done before. <laughs> I think that's the first thing. Nobody has ever thought to use sound in the way that I did in that podcast. I don't see how it could be any better sound design than this podcast. You'd think that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, yeah, that pretty much covers it. What if it was, uh, we could have a jingle that was like, who's that rat? It's Gabby. Um, that's going to be the outro note. Okay, great. Wait, now, what is that song? I don't know. Jingle song. That's Macy Playground. I got sexy candy. Who's that lounging in my chair? Who's that casting DV? 